Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, and a lot more modest. That's right. <laughs> But as I said, we're going to start, we're going to continue the sermon series that we started last week, The Other Six Days. And the idea behind the series, if you missed last week, is that so many of us, and I think myself, is in, I'm included in this, we profess to be a Christian today. We profess to follow Christ just because we take two hours a week and we come to church on Sunday and maybe even Wednesdays. But the problem with this is that God doesn't want to just be Lord over the cu a couple hours of our life a week. But he wants to be Lord over not just Sunday, but the other six days. He wants to be the ruler of every single day, every single second, every single hour of our life. And so we talked about how if we sleep eight hours a night, which I know most of us probably don't, but if we sleep eight hours a night, then you have 112 waking hours during the week. So if you spend two of those 112 waking hours at church, then that leaves 110 hours that you're out in the world away from church. And if we're calling ourselves followers of Christ, and we go only give him two, but don't give him the other 110, then are we truly following Jesus? And that's the question we asked ourselves last week. We looked last week at, uh, at, at the Hebrew word for work. And I thought this was really interesting. I love digging into the Hebrew a little bit. Um, but we, we saw that the Hebrew word for work is actually the same as the root word for worship. And so what we're called to do as we go to work on these other six days, as we do, as we do work, is to use that as a worship to glorify God. But how can we use our work life? How can we use our work and our jobs to worship and glorify the Lord? And here's what I want you to realize this morning, is that this is a question that has been, has been on the minds of people since the very beginning of time. And Jesus, when he walked, uh, walked the ground in the New Testament, he realized that people don't spend every waking moment in a church surrounded by people whose one focus is to worship God at that moment. Nobody spends every waking moment in that situation. And Jesus understood that, and we see that because in his parables, in the stories that he told kind of to make his points for, for his sermons and, and his, his messages, they were never once a story about someone in church. His parables were always stories about people in their normal everyday lives. And what Jesus wanted to understand by doing, wanted us to understand by doing this is that it's not the two hours of time that we spend in church that makes us a Christian, that makes us followers of Jesus, but it's what we do the other 110 hours of our everyday lives that makes us followers of Jesus. Because if what we do in here for two hours doesn't translate to what we're doing out there for 110 hours, then what we're doing in here doesn't make sense and there's no point to it. Because Christianity is not something that's confined to these four walls, but it has to go outside the building into our everyday lives. We looked at the scripture last week, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. And it's going to be on the screen. I'm going to be jumping, I'm going to be hopping all over the Bible today. So I'm not going to tell you to open up anywhere. It's just going to be on the screen and jot, jot down the verse. But this is 1 Corinthians 10, 31. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So if work is supposed to be our worship and how we glorify God, 
and we should be doing everything for the glory of God, then we should be giving our best at everything we do. And this is what we talked about last week, isn't it? We talked about how if, if, if our work is supposed to be our worship, if we're glorifying God in our work, then we should be pursuing excellence in our jobs. We should be pursuing excellence in our relationships and in the other six days. So I'm going to keep, quit rehashing last week's message. Uh, most of you are here, but if you weren't, you can catch up on the app or the website or the podcast. We've got it all over. You can even get a DVD back in the back. But, I'm going to, this, but this week, I wanted to lay a good foundation because this week is a complete continuation of last week's message. In fact, these are, these are really two messages that are one. So they, they go hand in hand. Because as last week we looked at, we need to be pursuing excellence. Today, our first point is that as we continue this conversation... That if our work is to be considered worship to God, then our work should reflect the highest standards of ethics. Our work should reflect the highest standards of ethics. Because if we're going to proclaim ourselves as followers of Christ, if we're going to proclaim that we are taking every day and we're trying to mold ourselves and we're trying to become more like Christ, if that's who we're going to proclaim to be, then with everything we do, we should do it at, with the highest ethical standards. I recently read this short story about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Sorry, I need a drink of water real quick. But he's the, he's the author of the Sherlock Holmes books. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Oh, I didn't get it that time either. But, but also, he's very well known. Most of you know him as the Sherlock Holmes guy. But he also, and I didn't know this about him, served a stint in the British government. And while he was working in the, in the British government, he decided that he was going to play this practical joke on 12 very respected and very well-known men in Great Britain. So he goes into work one day in his job with the government and he decides to send them each an anonymous telegram from inside the government that said, flee at once, all is discovered. Just randomly, one day they get a telegram, they don't know who it's from, flee at once, all is discovered. And then, like any good jokester, he just sat and let things play out. And he waited six hours and he went and checked up on each of the 12 and without fail he had found that they were all packing their bags to flee the country. And, and, and it's a funny story because I can just picture these guys getting this telegram out of the blue that says flee at once, all is discovered and they're all racking their brain because they've all got that one thing that if anybody found out they were trying to, they, they needed to get out of here. So they're throwing everything in the bag, they're loading up the car, they're getting out and then they find out that, that it's this big joke that he's played on them. And so, yes, it, it's funny to picture, but also it's a little bit sad because if I would have told you that, that, that this had happened today and that this had happened with some of our government officials or some of our business leaders or some people in your workplace, then none of us would be surprised. None of us would be surprised because of a lack of integrity in the workplace, a lack of ethics is nothing new. In fact, it's almost become the norm in the world today. But as followers of Jesus... As Christians, we are called to give glory to God in all that we do and to conduct our lives like Jesus would conduct his. To conduct our lives like our Heavenly Father, like God would conduct his. So we should be conforming to the highest standards of ethics in the land because our integrity in the workplace, get this, get this, our integrity in the workplace demonstrates to those around us what the integrity of Christ looks like. So business ethics matter. 
Ethics in our schoolwork and in our personal lives and in our relationships matter because those ethical practices reflect onto God. Let's take a look at what God says to us, and this is in Proverbs 11.1. 1. He says, The Lord detests the use of dishonest scales, but he delights in accurate weights. Now, I love reading the book of Proverbs because it's kind of weird, and, and, and everything just kind of seems to talk in circles, and sometimes it can seem really um, not very relevant to us. But, but really, if you take it just one verse at a time and look and say, how does this apply to me today? I think with every verse, we can find how it applies to our lives, even though it can be just a little bit weird. But how does this verse apply to us today? What does it mean? Well, I think dishonest scales could be maybe fudging on mileage reports, padded business expenses, Fudging time cards, calling in sick when you're really not, unreported income, cheating on a test, taking office supplies from home because we only need one manila folder and the office has a whole box of them and uh, we don't need to buy a whole box if the church office has, uh, has a ton of them, we just need one. That may have been an admission of guilt. Carla, I may have taken a manila folder because I really needed one. <laughs> but God's, God's word says here in Proverbs that God detests these things. Even though they, they seem small, like they seem insignificant. One manila folder isn't going to bankrupt the church, but it, it, it seems insignificant, but God detests them because if our work is our worship, then that means having standards, having higher standards that are so much higher than the world's standards. It means going beyond those standards. It means something that they see small, we see as something big. Because when we call ourselves followers of, followers of Christ, we are, we are adopting the name of Jesus. And even these small things can do harm to the name of Christ. These small things can cause, can give a big black eye to both the church and to Jesus. Someone calls you to do some work and you don't show up when you said you would. Or you fail to deliver what was promised. These seems like such small things, but they can hinder the message of grace and the message of mercy that the church is called to bring to the world. There's this article on a Christian publication called Blogos, B-L-O-G-O-S. I really don't know if that's how you say it, but I've just seen it, you know, in writing. It's called Blogos, I think. And it's this article, and it's about the business ethics of Christians. The writer said this. Last summer, I had an experience with a, with a local landscape company that had advertised on our Christian radio station and prominently stated their faith position in the commercial. I called them to come out and fertilize my lawn, which they said they would take care of immediately. But after several weeks, they still had not done the job. Emails and phone calls went unreturned, and I finally got a call from the owner apologizing and promising again to do the job, but I told him thanks but no thanks and called another local landscape business and had my yard fertilized the very next day. And he, he went on later to say that this experience is a very, it's a very small thing. It's honestly not, not that big of a deal, but it was something that he remembered because this business and their advertising, they had taken the name of Christ and then they, they didn't hold to their word. And it was something that stuck in his head. And that's not just Christians that notice that thing, but everybody notices that. Amen. Is that when we take the name of Christ, but we don't keep our word, then people notice that. And I love the way that the message uh, paraphrases Psalm 15, 1 through 5. It says this, God, who gets invited to dinner at your place? How do we get on your guest list? And this is God responding to them. He says, walk straight. Act right, tell the truth. Don't hurt your friend, don't blame your neighbor, despise the despicable, 
Keep your word even when it costs you. Make an honest living and never take a bribe. Now, this scripture by no means means that we should be perfect. No, absolutely not. That's not what it's calling us to be. It's not calling us to be perfect, but it does mean that we have to be, we have to be aware of these credibility killers in the workplace. Modeling integrity isn't the same thing as being, imper- being perfect, but the gospel message of Jesus will be so much more effective if we learn to model integrity to those around us. It means that if you blow up at one of your coworkers, you go apologize. You're not perfect. You don't have to. It doesn't mean that you're never going to have an, that you're never going to mess up. That you're never going to have an accident. That you're never going to to blow up. But it means that you take responsibility for it, and they'll have more respect for you because of that. So if our worship is our work, and we work to worship and glorify God, then our work should reflect the highest models of integrity during the other six days. And this brings us to our next point. During these other six days, our work and other activities should be about blessing others. And I'm, I'm excited about this point. I, I told the early service, I said, uh, sometimes I, it's, a, it's an extremely, it's a, a huge blessing that I get to really marinate and I get to think about the sermons that I bring before you and I get to take a month or two months and I really get to get angry about it and I get to get mad and I get to get excited and then when I come to you, I'm just like a firecracker going off and it's been building up for so long that it just, it just explodes and, and last night when dad sent me his sermon notes for this morning, um, I, I, I was so worried because <laughs> I was worried that that wasn't going to be able to happen, that it was going to fall flat. But then I, I saw this point, and, and this, this is something that, that God has been working on me for so long, is that, yes, I try to do the right things. I try, I try, to, I try to, to do right, to be like Christ. But am I blessing others? And if I'm not blessing others then does it matter if I'm not doing those other things because I'm not a follower of Christ if I'm not blessing others because that's what Jesus called us to do. Jesus called us to serve and to be his hands and feet. And I I want you to think about this. To be a follower of Jesus means that you have to think about your life the same way that Jesus thought about his And here's the deal. Jesus saw it as his one purpose on this earth. His one purpose was an opportunity to serve other people. And so that's our purpose on this earth as well, is to serve others, those who don't have as much as we do. Let's look at what the apostle said, what the apostle Paul explained about Jesus in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Paul said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, That though he was rich, yet for your sake, that though he was rich for your sake, I want you to get that, for your sake, he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. In other words, Jesus leveraged his assets. He leveraged his blessing, his position of strength, to benefit and to bless other people's lives. So how does that look like for us in the world today? How how does that work in the world that we find ourselves in? Well, let's look to Jesus because remember when he told these stories, when he told these parables, they were always extremely relevant to our everyday life, not just Sundays in church. Let's take a look at Luke 14, chapter 12 through 14. Chapter 14, verse 12 through 14. Verse 12, then Jesus said to his host, 
when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So what does this look like these other six days? Well, I think that it might look like an adjustment to our attitude. Can we find joy? Can we find happiness? Can we find our peace in serving others? Maybe forgiving someone? How does this look like at work? Well, maybe if we own a business, it means that we think about more than just our personal profits. Maybe we think about more than just the bottom line. Maybe it looks like us searching with everything that we have for the opportunities to help someone in need. Maybe we use what God has blessed us with, and so many of us are so blessed. We use what God has blessed us with in our business or our personal lives to help someone out. What if we looked at our work or our job or our business more along the lines of how can I be a blessing to others instead of it just being about the money? And, and don't, don't get me wrong here. I am by no means saying that, that money or success is a bad thing because it's not. Being successful, moving, moving up the ladder, making, making money is a good thing because God is the one that has allowed us to do that. We have to remember that our success is because God has allowed us to be successful. He has come up behind us and he's pushed us up that ladder. You know, sometimes I think that we can get in our minds that we did this. We got ourselves here. We did it. But if we're followers of Jesus, we know that we are nothing without him. Amen. We're nothing without him. We're not where we are today without God. And we have to keep that in mind. So there's, but there's, so there's, but there's nothing wrong with making money or being successful, but what's wrong is when we're greedy with the blessing that God has given us. We're, as Christians, we are called to be generous, to use what God has given us to be a blessing to others, to use it to serve others. See, making money, being successful is never a sin. It's good. But when you have the resources, it is a sin not to use that blessing to bless others. And I'm not just talking about tithing right now. This is not a message on tithing. But instead, I, I want to make the distinction because there's a difference between the 10% that comes to the church and using your blessing to be a personal servant, to be a personal blessing to someone else. It means you see somebody and you say, today or tomorrow or whenever, I'm gonna make it, I am gonna make a difference in that person's life. When I was preparing for this message last night, <laughs> The parable that Jesus, the parable in Matthew 25 that Jesus uh, told was, came to my mind, and it's the one about the sheep and the goats. Many of you know it. But Jesus looked at the sheep and he said, Blessed are you, for when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in jail, you visited me. Now notice, notice what Jesus didn't say or what God didn't say to these sheep was when I was hungry, your church fed me. Or when I was thirsty, someone else that you helped out gave me drink. Someone else clothed me. Someone else visited me in jail. But no, Jesus said, when I was hungry, you fed me. God looks at what we do. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in jail, you 
visited me. So if our work is our worship, then our work should be about personally blessing, personally serving others, making a personal difference in someone else's life. So let's sum up the last two weeks, and we are going to get out of here. We're going to beat everybody down to Amigos Locos. I mean, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> I mean it. It's 11-12, and I'm wrapping up, so <laughs> you're welcome. So let, but let's sum up these last two weeks that we've been talking about in this sermon series. And I'm going to leave you with a word of warning and one quick, one quick story. But over these last two weeks, we've seen that if our work is our worship, and our worship is our work, and we do all things that we do to bring glory and honor to God, then our work should pursue excellence in all that we do. That was one. Number two, our work should reflect the highest standards of ethics. And number three, our work should be about being a blessing to others. But why, why is this important? Why should we conduct ourselves in this way? And let me tell, let me tell you this, because it, we, 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 it's important, we must do this, because if we approach the other six days like this in our work, our school, our everyday routines, our activities, then people will be curious as to why we're so different than they are. Because it's not the norm that we live in. They are going to be curious as to why we have a joy that they don't have. They're going to see you respond to persecution with grace. And they're going to be drawn to discover. They're going to be drawn in to find out what your motives are, what drives you. So let me ask you a question today, and I want you to, to, to just reflect on yourself for a moment. Is that happening to you in your workplace? Do you work so hard with such excellence, with so much grace, with, so much, with, with such a high standard of ethic? Do you work so hard that people notice that you're different? That's the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning. Because we make a bigger impact on this world that we live in right now, the other six days, than we ever do the two hours we spend in church on Sunday mornings. And let me give you this word of warning. And I think even I, maybe more than anybody, needs to hear this this morning. We're called to worship God, not worship our work. I don't want to confuse the two because, yes, while we're working, we do it to give glory and honor to God, but we don't worship the job. You know, when Adam and Eve were, were expelled from the, from the garden back in the, the first few chapters of Genesis, it changed the way that we looked at work, and instead, we let work define who we are. We, we find our identity in work. Some of us even find an idol. We, we idolat we, our work is idolatry. We define ourselves by the status of our job. Maybe we define ourselves by the fact that we're blessed enough to not have a job. That we, that we have so much blessing in our lives that we are able to not have a job. But God didn't give us work to give us this identity. God didn't give us work to have something to look at and say, look at me, look how successful I am, look how awesome I am at my job. He gave us work to glorify him. All the glory goes to God. We aren't, identify, we aren't defined by work. We're defined by the name of the Lord whom we worship. Because work is a, terrible is a terrible God. Our jobs are a terrible God. 
They're finicky. You can get fired. You can get laid off. You can have bad days. Jobs aren't dependable. But let me tell you something. Our Lord is a great God. He's dependable. Because at the end of the day, he's the one that's taking care of our ultimate problem. And, and it's not a lack of money. That's not our problem. But it was the sinful nature that each and every one of us was born into. And Jesus, when he came down and died on the cross, he took care of our ultimate problem. He's dependable. And I want to close with this. I realize that, that what we've been talking about the last two weeks um, sounds extremely difficult. Some of you are going to wake up tomorrow morning. You're going to go into a workplace where it is really hard, extremely difficult to glorify and worship God there. It's hard to work with excellence. It's hard to work with integrity in some of our workplaces. It's hard to be a blessing, some of here, uh, in some places. And I get that. And God gets that too. I mean, I, I take a look back at the Old Testament. And I see all the, all the, all the characters and all, all, the, all the people in the, that the Bible tells us these stories of in the Old Testament. And some of them are really bad. Some of them are downright evil. There's, there's nobody perfect in the Old Testament. But oh, by the way, there is someone perfect in the New Testament. And his name is Jesus. But in the Old Testament, there's no one perfect. They all have these faults. They all have these, this fatal flaw. And those stories aren't there to confuse us. Sometimes I think that we think that the Old Testament is just there to confuse us. That's not the point. But the point is, is that God wanted to show us that it's hard to follow him. It's tough. Sometimes it can be really difficult to be a follower of Jesus. And it is so tough to just decide, you know what, from here on out... I'm going to start glorifying God the other six days. It's so difficult. We were at a preaching seminar <laughs> not too long ago, and the, the speaker said, never get off the platform because it makes everybody uncomfortable. So I'm going to see if he was right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was right. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I, I want to tell you this story, and I really want, I really want to, to make sure that you focus in. Um, if you haven't heard anything that I've said today, Make sure that you listen to this. Um, Hayden and I, when we went to college, excuse me, um, when we went to college, we were searching for a way to get involved with worship and to get involved with this church. And so right, as soon, right off the get-go, we had this op awesome opportunity through uh, the church that we were going to, to to lead worship at a Celebrate Recovery. And if you don't know what that is, that's where um, people who are struggling with addictions, they come and they come together and they, and they, battle, they battle those addictions together. And it's addictions such as alcohol or drugs or, or pornography or anger or, or anything. There were so many different people struggling with so many different things. And this, this six months was one of the most transformational times in my life. I will never forget it. It changed me forever. It's where I found my call to ministry and so many other things. But this six months, I remember, I'll never forget, the, the leader's name was Terry. And Terry, every single week, he would say, take your recovery one day at a time. And what he meant is that if we're struggling with an addiction and we, and we look out over and say, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to turn to drugs. I'm never going to turn to alcohol again. That's really, it's a daunting task. It's hard to take on. But what we can do is we can wake up, we can look ourselves in the eye right in the mirror and we can say, today I'm not going to let my addiction win. I don't know what comes after that. I don't come, know what comes the next day, but I know that today my addiction isn't going to win. 
And I related this so much back to, to my walk with Christ back then. I'll, I'll never forget it because if we take a look and we say, you know what, from here till, the, till I die, I'm always gonna do the right thing. I'm always gonna be following Christ. I'm always going to, to, to make these ethical decisions. I'm always gonna pursue excellence. I'm always going to be a blessing. It's tough to look at. It's tough to look that far ahead, but you know what we can do? We can wake up, we can go to the mirror, we can look ourselves in the eyes, and we can say, today, today I'm going to follow Christ. Amen. I don't know what comes after that. I don't know what comes the next day, but today I'm going to follow Jesus. And you know what? Sometimes it takes more than that. Sometimes that's not enough. Sometimes we have to say, for the next hour, I'm going to choose Jesus. For the next 60 seconds, I don't know what comes the next minute, but for this minute, I'm going to choose to do the right thing. I'm going to choose to be Jesus in my workplace. And you know what? When that minute's up, the next minute we say the same thing. The next hour we say, I don't know what comes after this, but for this hour, I'm going to do the right thing. I don't know what comes tomorrow, but for today. And we do it day after day after day. And before we know it, we've lived years. And we've set the example in our workplace for what Jesus Christ looks like. Let's pray. Dear God, I just thank you so much for this message that you've given us today, God. We know that when we, live, we leave this place, Lord, we go into, into a world that is difficult to live in. It's hard to be your shining light. It's hard to set your example. It's, hard to, it's, it's just hard to do, God. But Lord, as, as we leave this place, we pray that your power comes with us, God, because we need your help. We need you every second of every day, God. Lord, I pray as we go into our workplaces this week that we do so with a sense that we're going to pursue excellence each and every day, God. Lord, I pray that we have the highest ethical standards of anyone around, God. I pray that people look to us for what their, ethic, what their standards should be, Lord. God, and I pray that we are a blessing to one person, just one person as we leave this place, God. That we make a personal connection and we bless one person as we leave, God. Lord, we know it's tough, but we know that you're walking with us. We pray that you'll just follow us out of here, God. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Y'all are dismissed. It was cold between my fingertips